This week on the Tenet Podcast, just a dude with Chief Deputy Matthew Thomas. Your, your power base is not your agency. Your power base is your community. It's all increments, man. You have to focus on increments. And a lot of them are just uh, leaving and going and doing something completely different. Kudos to them, but it's, it's still in our profession, which is so weird to hear, man. I think it's winnable, though. I care about all my people. I care about the agency, and I want what's best for everybody, and I try to uh, empower them and, and try and make it as best as possible. It is a lot of misunderstanding. Oh, it's a it's a huge tug of war. I haven't been a street cop for seven years now, but I have not forgot what cop work is, and I have not forgotten how to do cop work. The views and opinions expressed on the 108 podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. The 108 podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, whenever and wherever you're listening. Welcome to episode 337 of the 108 podcast. Before we go any further, I want to ask you to stop exactly what you're doing right now. And be sure to rate the show on your streaming app, leave a review if you're listening to Apple Podcasts, and make sure you're subscribed to be notified every time I drop a new episode as it comes out. All those little things make a big difference, and they let the show be seen by more people because we go up in ratings and, and things like that. The algorithm's pretty weird. Anyway, on to the next order of business. Folks, I want to tell you about Jiu-Jitsu 5.0. At Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, they believe training is a lifestyle. Their goal is to provide everything a police officer needs to not only become proficient in their control and defense skills, but also achieve all the physical and mental health benefits Jiu-Jitsu has to offer. And that's why they came out with the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app. It's the ultimate training tool for all law enforcement. Members get on-demand access to a huge library of techniques for the streets, grappling-based workouts, yoga, and monthly nutrition plans. Through the app, you also have 24-7 access to Jason, the founder of Jiu-Jitsu 5.0, for personalized training assistance. Jason is a black belt in Jiu-Jitsu and an 11-year law enforcement veteran. So go check out the Jiu-Jitsu 5.0 app in the App Store of your choosing, available on iPhone and Android. Folks, today's episode is Just a Dude, and my guest is a formidable figure in the modern world of law enforcement, and he is on the same level as some of the previous guests I've had on the show, whether it be Dave Grossman, Grady Judd, even Dennis Benino. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest is Chief Deputy Matthew Thomas. He is the second-in-command, the right-hand man to the American sheriff himself, Arizona congressional candidate Mark Lamb. This episode was a labor of love. I wanted so bad to get these gentlemen on the show, and uh, I went through hell and high water to make this happen. I've been contacting the chief deputy and the sheriff for the better part of a year and a half to get this interview. And then we got the schedule locked in, and then the sheriff had to go and, you know, decide to run for Congress or something, and it changed everything. It changed everything. I had to reschedule it, and then we tried to, you know, nail the sheriff down to join the chief deputy and I, and, you know, you know, running, running for uh, national office is a big deal, apparently allegedly so you know we couldn't get the sheriff and then i was just like i i contacted the chief deputy i'm like let's do it let's 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 lock it down let's get it done uh like uh like an unfunny comedian get her done um so that's that's what we did so uh before we go any further if sheriff lamb is listening i don't typically talk politics on my show um i don't even talk about my own personal beliefs about topics on my show all that much uh but i do wish him the very best of luck on his campaign because uh, I think he's doing everything right in Arizona, which you're going to hear in just a little bit. And I think America needs more of that in the national big seats, whether it be Congress or Senate. So uh, my hat's off. My 
my Stetson off to Sheriff Mark Lamb and his run. Best of luck to you. That said, I want to talk more about the chief deputy himself. I want to thank him for joining me today. We have a hell of a story coming your way. The chief deputy is a career law enforcement officer. He's been seeing the changing of tides in law enforcement and American culture and politics for a long time. And he's got a lot of insight on all of that. But before we hear his insight and his story, I want to touch on something that's kind of been annoying me, I guess you could say, giving me some uh, complaints and grievances, some agita uh, with what's going on in the world today. So I just want to talk about it real quick. This day and age, we here in America are repeatedly given reasons to applaud or ridicule our politicians, our pop culture, and so on and so forth. And one of the biggest uh, criticisms I have, like I don't even listen to uh, pop culture celebrities when they when they talk and they start giving political insight i just i roll my eyes and i change the channel the the best reaction i have to that is ricky gervais 2020 golden globes if you've never seen it uh shame on you but it was right before covid was a thing and right before woke really blew up and he went and he just roasted all of hollywood and he said something to the effect of you know you actors the the audience was a bunch of actors and, and you know, well-to-do, um, well-to-do or, or wealthy, I should say, mover shakers and creative in, in Los, uh, Los Angeles. And he goes, you know, you guys say you're woke, but uh, the companies you work for, Disney, Apple, Amazon, are not morally uh, pure. And if ISIS were to start a streaming service, you'd call your agent and get on the next show. Um, he's like, you're in no position to lecture the American public about anything. So when you come up here to accept your stupid fucking award, uh, you know, thank your God, thank your agent, thank your publicist, whatever, and then get the fuck off. That's what he says. And when they talk, when a celebrity talks, that's how I react anyway. And politics, I think, is just one big freaking clown show at this point. But depending on what side of the coin you prefer, your praise or criticism is pretty one-sided, right? There's not, I, I, I say this and it's going to be pointed, but from what I've seen, right? I know this is a broad generalization, so take it for what it is. It's all one or the other, right? There's not many moderately thinking people. Some people will say they're moderate, and then all they do is share Tucker Carlson, or they share Morning Joe, or whatever the MSNBC version of Tucker Carlson is, right? So, you know, you, you say you're moderate, but you don't really listen to both sides of the stories. So I'm saying this because I see it all the time, right? I mean, what I see is just a small sample size. I'm in a statistics class now, so I, I understand these terms now. But uh, So I know it's a small sample size, but if I use that as a microcosm, as an example of what the rest of America is like, it's, it's a little concerning. Ultra conservatives or ultra liberals spend hours and hours a day taking in and then regurgitating the same information all day. And it's, it's freaking it's annoying. It pisses me off because, you know, to quote Denzel Washington, he said, if you watch the news, you're uninformed. If you do read the news, you then become misinformed. What's the long-term effect of too much information? One of the effects is the need to be first, not even to be true. We live in a society now where it's just to be first. Who cares? Get out there. Well, we don't care if it's true. Just say it and sell it. Anything you practice, you'll get good at, including bullshit. That's what he said, and he was talking about the news media, and it's spot on. I've been saying this for years, that the news media has become nothing more than uh, sensational journalism. Yellow journalism is what it used to be called, where they don't care, they're going to make a headline up, and it doesn't even matter. 
It doesn't matter what the truth is. It doesn't mean, matter what the facts are. Whoever gets that first story out there, the first spin on it, that's all that matters. And this past week, we had the situation with the um, two cops in Florida. And, you know, the one pulled over and whatever. I'm not giving my opinion on it. I said one post and that's it. That's that's my that's what you get from me. But then you start hearing facts, right? Because I have a pretty widespread audience. And people that work with these people start reaching out and they tell me certain things. And you can't... And this is the whole point of this part of the conversation. You can't change opinions. You can't change opinions. Um, I can be armed with facts. It is not going to stop people's emotional reaction. And I realized this back in, I think it was January, when the whole Laverne, Tennessee thing came out. And I learned facts about certain things. And, you know, I tried to counteract certain uh, posts and, and whatever people were going on speaking nonsense. But I can't, you know... it. It's stupid. I can't undo stupid. So that being said, that's how it's to be with the news media. But I also feel the same way about people constantly sharing frustrating news stories, depressing news stories, whatever it is. And they're not doing it regardless of the side, right? Because that, that's something I want to say. Like whether it's right or left, it that part's irrelevant because you guys do the exact same thing no matter what side you are. You're posting things that are either going to aggravate someone or support your own opinion. Constantly sharing the same shit again and again does nothing, right? Because you're sharing it to people that either think the same way, so they're going to agree with you, or they don't think the same way, and they're going to argue with you. There's no... I feel like the the area of healthy debate is not there. I, I witnessed two gentlemen have a debate about abortion, and they had conflicting views, and then nothing was solved. Nothing was solved. Nobody's opinion changed. Things got heated for a little bit, and then they broke and they walked away. And they they were cool, like they didn't have a fight or anything, but nothing came of it. Nothing came from it. And I consider both of those men very intelligent, very intellectual. Nothing came from that conversation. So I'm here to say, what's the point? I heard a social media influencer say a lot of cops and a lot of people just don't want to be political. They don't like politics and they don't want to be political. He said, quote, you can't have an opinion and you can't change the minds of people around you if you have no idea what's going on. I laugh at that because no, <laughs> exactly what I said. You don't change the minds of people around you. You can, you can say shit and you can put it out there and hope that, you know, they go and do some research themselves. That's how I try to be. I, I have no problem being the quiet one in the room and, and not saying shit until I know what I'm saying. Conservatives share right-leaning news stories to other conservatives are not changing minds. Okay, it's either causing more fear and panic and uneasiness, or it's gonna, you know, rattle the the base. Same thing with same thing with the left side. Ain't no minds being changed. It's not happening. When you do stuff like that, right? When you share something that you continue to share, you're seeking your validation that your opinion is right, whether it is or it's not. You scream into your echo chamber, and anyone that agrees with you is an ally, and anyone who disagrees with you is the enemy. When you choose to take in information that that's on you if something bothers you politics wise or anything at this point because everyone's so divisive on anything i knew i knew we as a society were fucked a few years ago when starbucks changed their christmas or holiday whatever you want to say cups and they went from having either merry christmas or christmas trees or whatever it was to just plain red cups and people lost their mind oh my god and i was like we're really we're making news stories and people are getting heated over coffee cups that's when i knew society was fucked 
Okay. And it hasn't changed. It hasn't gotten better. We are no, we are not united. We stand united. We fall. We're not. We are divided by every damn thing. If I held this pen, if I held this pen up and I said, hmm, this is a blue pen. <laughs> okay. It's a, it's a pink pen. If I said this was a pink pen and someone would say, uh, no, that's fuchsia. Uh, fuck you, it's pink, right? And then we'd have a thing, and before you know it, social media is an issue. We will argue about literally everything. And so you either are trying to build your base or you're trying to build your opposition. And it's ridiculous. You don't change minds. You don't. You can try, but I think what I want to take away from this is you're allowing these things to affect you, whether it's Donald Trump, the opinions of LeBron James or Ben and Jerry's or whatever it is. You're choosing to let those things affect you. Now, f just for complete transparency, there are things that pissed me off during the whole woke thing. Like, it got to the point where people are like, well, anyone that says Black Lives Matter or does this, I'm just going to stop supporting them, right? Like, cop cancel culture is just as bad as the woke cancel culture. Don't let anyone fool you differently, right? So, I was like, man, there ain't nothing. Like, <laughs> people are like, well, stop wearing Nikes. I'm like, I just bought these Nikes. No. Oh, oh, can't wear Converse because Converse is owned by Nike. No, I like my Converse. Like, it's ridiculous. So there were, I, I drew some lines in the sand. I'm not even going to share them with you because it's proving my point. There were lines in the sand where I'm like, okay, that's too far. Um, I'm not going to support whatever it is, X, Y, Z. That is just not where I'm going to be. Point being... You know, you can choose what's going to offend you. You can choose what's going to bother you. And how you choose to react is your own thing. To quote the Stoic Emperor philosopher Marcus Aurelius, I quoted him all the time, but get used to it. There's going to be a lot of Stoicism in this episode. Someone despises me, that's their problem. My problem, not to do or say anything despicable. Someone hates me, that's their problem. Mine is to be patient and cheerful with everyone, including them. Ready to show them their mistake. Not spitefully, or to show them of my own self-control, but in an honest, upright way. I'm going to break that quote for just one second, but it's going to keep going. But I had a, I had someone, every once in a while I get people talk shit about me, because I'm no longer a cop and I'm still making cop content. Get over yourself. Anyway, I had someone talk shit about me, and someone brought it to my attention. This person I've had blocked because this is just an ongoing thing where they just talk shit. I don't need to see it. I don't. Again, I'm going to say later, choose to be or choose to not be offended and you won't be so anyway they say shit about me i don't need to see it i block it someone sent me this stuff to be like hey what's going on here i think the person that sent me was trying to like get a rise out of me and it didn't work i was like hey i don't know what's going on with this person uh i hope it's you know it goes good for them i hope they're fine because for them to blindly out of nowhere attack someone that they've never even met they don't even know they know nothing about me says that there's something going on with them and i i i I hope they're okay. That's what I said. And I wasn't trying to be morally superior. I truly... Well, first off, I was trying to make myself feel better because no one likes to be called a piece of shit. Um, but also, truly, if if you are going to start publicly bad-mouthing someone that you know nothing about, um, I feel sorry for you. Because obviously something is wrong. And I hope you get the help you need. So to continue the quote, when people injure you, ask yourself what good or harm they thought would come of it. If you understand that, you'll feel sympathy rather than outrage and anger. Your sense of good and evil may be the same as theirs or near it, in which case you have to excuse them. Or your sense of good and evil may differ from theirs, in which case they're misguided and deserve your compassion. Is that so hard? That's what I just said. 
to continue the quote, that kindness is invincible, provided it's sincere, not ironic or an act. What can even the most vicious person do if you keep treating them with kindness and gently set them straight if you get the chance, correcting them cheerfully at the exact moment that he's trying to do you harm? You say, no, 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 my friend, that isn't where we're what we're here for. It isn't me who's harmed by that. It's you. And show that person gently and without pointing fingers that it's so. That bees don't behave like this or any other mammals with a sense of community. Don't do it sardonically or meanly, but affectionately. With no hatred in your heart and no ex cathedra or to impress third parties, but speaking differently and directly, even if there are other people around. Okay, so I'm going to take a quick side step from that. When talking about someone flat out calling out your character, right? Because I brought that up. That's what you do. But in the in the eyes of LeBron James pissing you off or whatever, you're not going to sit there and set them right, right? But don't talk about your philosophy. Embody it. That's another stoic quote, right? So, and that's what I said during the whole, you know, all cops are bastards BLM stuff. You're not the cops they're talking about. You know you're not the cops they're talking about. Prove it. Don't be don't be a bully, don't be a brute. Just keep doing what you need to do. And you know, it's going to it's going to silence the critics really quick. We don't need to share things that, you know, just frustrate us. Uh same thing goes with politics and so on and so forth. Like I don't need to share my political opinion. I don't. I can act it. Like nothing, no Instagram post that I can make is going to influence Joe Biden. Not happening. It's not happening. I can talk to friends of mine, close personal friends of mine, and be like, hey, did you hear this thing on the news? I was pretty, this is what I think about it, blah, 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 blah. But you don't need to be a public opinion about it. We live in a society that imposes you to take in all this information, but we don't think critically about it. We don't take the time to figure out if it's good or bad or even true or the whole story. But we see it and we suck it up like a putty brain sponge and we form our whole personalities about it. Meanwhile, and here's a dirty little secret, you don't have to have an opinion on everything. Shit, man, unless you're running for political office, your opinion really only matters to you. Again, you can share it with your family and friends and try to like give them uh, insight and be like, hey, you know, this is, this is my opinion on things, but that's close personal friendships. It's not the whole fucking internet. I know we here in 2023 think of someone sitting in a room speaking to absolutely nobody through a shore or a blue yeti microphone suddenly it gives us some sort of right or responsibility to quote inform the public no it doesn't just stop you are one step above and not even a big step but one step above that drunk uncle at the family get-togethers you know the one i'm talking about no one really wanted to invite uncle steve but he's there he's your mom's brother so you had to right we all know that by the end of the night he's going to try to fight at least one but no more than five cousins we know this is coming, and that's what you guys sound like, okay? So, respectfully, keep your opinions to thyself. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, doesn't mean you have to. We're all so focused, and this is ironic because here I am sitting here talking and hoping you guys take my opinion seriously. We're all so uh, focused on being the next big influence. And it's like, bro, just be Steve. Just be a guy. Just do your thing. You know, it's not that hard. And I, I wrestle with that a lot. I don't want to get too off topic, but I get it with that a lot. Like, why do I record these podcasts and put this out? You know why? 
Because 46,000 people said, you know what, man, we kind of care about what you say. If y'all didn't, the number would drop or the number wouldn't grow. And that would be that. If it comes to the point where I'm just talking to myself, then, then that is perfectly fine. But as I've said repeatedly in this show, you guys gave me a platform, so it is my honor to continue to use it. That being said, not everything I say and not anything other people say is worth a damn. So think about that. The point of this whole intro is, one, stop sharing your opinion on social media. I remember a time when a person would have a political opinion and they would keep it to themselves. They wouldn't share their ill-informed, misguided information with the majority of people. They just wouldn't. They would just go onto the voting booth and in November elect some other political criminal to the big chair, right? They would make their bad decisions and it wouldn't... I wouldn't have to deal with it, really. Like, it's, it's just... It is what it is. Two, you don't have to have an opinion on everything. If I were a politician, I would run for the wait-and-see party. Some things seem good, some things don't. But I'm not an economist, and I'm not a foreign relations master to really weigh on these things. So don't get me wrong, there's things that confuse me and frustrate me, and I don't have enough information to make a public opinion, nor do I have to. It's not required. It's really not. There's, you know, like, uh, to, this week I made a post about the, uh, the two guys from Florida, you know? Like, I don't have to. I had an opinion, and... I mean, I could have just turned to the person sitting next to me and go, hey, this is what I think about that. I chose to post it on Instagram, but I didn't have to. And you guys don't have to either. It's okay to not know. That's That should be another sub thing here. There are three opinions that I want everyone to know about. This is from me. You need to know this. One, the Yankees are the greatest sports team of all time. Two, Han shot first. And three, pineapple does not belong on pizza. Those are the three opinions that I care about the most and I want you guys to know about. My final point in this whole intro is to stop taking information that is just going to piss you off. You can select the information that you take in on a daily basis. If you don't like the social or political agenda this country is doing, then fine. Stop seeking out and consuming all of that information. Go find something you enjoy. If you don't like something that's going on in this country, look at your house, look at the people around you, your direct sphere of influence, your family, your friends, and take care of them. If you're worried about, I don't know, survivalist things, like you think the world's going to end, worry about it yourself. I remember last year when the whole Ukraine thing started, I was, I was glued to that TV, man, and I was, I was getting freaked out. And I was like, man, nothing I'm worrying about is going to impact what's happening on this TV at all. So let me focus on what I can control at home. And that's, and that's what we do, right? Go find something you enjoy. Go something. Go find something that will take the load off. Otherwise, you are going to go crazy. I had someone tell me that they were losing their mind. They were stressing out because they couldn't go away from the news. Do it. You know how easy it is to turn off the, the idiot box, whether it be your TV, your phone, your computer. It's, I mean, I guess it's a lot more difficult than people, or it's, it's a lot easier than people make it out to be, but it's also not the most easy. It's, it's an addictive substance. So... I'm not going to discredit what people think, but really just turn it off. Go outside. Take a walk. Listen to some uh, Keep Flying. Listen to some John Deloney. Play catch with your kid. Like there's so many other things that you can do that isn't taking frustrating or concerning information. You know what I did when the world was going crazy with COVID and BLM and all that stuff? What I did to like calm myself so I didn't have to deal with that nonsense? I watch serial killer and cult documentaries. 
I thought they were interesting. And, you know, the whole cult thing, I feel like that's information we need to know these days because I feel like everything's just a fucking cult. It's, it's, so, it's so ridiculous. The, the fanatical uh, extremism is, is, is just wild. The whole, the whole time of COVID, I never watched the news about COVID. I never took a COVID test. I just didn't care. Call me ill-informed, but I live stress-free, and here I am feeling just fine, no worse for never getting caught in all that cycle. I just, I didn't care. The, the You know what? I take that back. When COVID first became a thing and they shut down the country, I was working in outside detail, and I did. I, I kind of got a little over-consumed with it, and I worried myself sick. It wasn't COVID. I just worried myself sick uh, where I had a cold, and because COVID was a thing, I wasn't allowed to work because I had a cold. It was just, it was nonsense. So I hope this information means a lot to you or gets you to think. Again, I'm not trying to polarize anybody. If anything, I'm trying to get you guys to stop polarizing yourself and come meet in the middle it's nice here we have donuts we have coffee and we have a lot of dumb jokes i have plenty for everybody i've got three books on my bookshelf all for dumb dad jokes i'll share some with you it doesn't have to be that crazy so whether you're a republican a democrat if you like basketball if you like the nfl i don't care just come hang out in the middle i guarantee you you're gonna be okay you don't have to share your stupid opinion all the time but for now Let's go ahead and forget everything I just said and bring on today's guest. He is a very wise man, uh, and you know he's going to talk about a lot of things that I agree with, whether it be about the job, about interacting with our community, about proceeding in your career. You're going to like it. You definitely will. Uh, so please, here is my guest, Chief Deputy Matthew Thomas from the Penal, Penal? Pinal County Sheriff's Office from Arizona. He has a very extensive resume, and he sh- truly is just a dude. Here it is. Check it out. We are here. We have Matthew Thomas. He is now. I always get this wrong. You are the chief deputy, correct? Where you work, as yes. opposed to where I work, it would be a deputy chief. So I always get those confused. Police departments are deputy. Well, and we we have deputy chiefs too. Uh, so it's really confusing. That's really, that is really confusing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm very glad to have you here. Uh, we've been kind of doing the the roundabout trying to get us and our schedules lined up for quite a while so i'm really happy that we got uh got to this point today yes sir so um before we go any further for anyone who may not be familiar with you um kind of hard to imagine at this point but in that in that chance uh go ahead and introduce yourself tell us who you are where you're from what you do and uh, we'll kind of go from there all right uh name is matthew thomas i'm the chief deputy as you said at uh, pinnell county sheriff's office so that means i'm uh, second in command to probably one of the most uh, famous law enforcement officials right now, and that's Sheriff Mark Land, the American Sheriff. So I work for Mark, and we've been working together for uh, the past seven years as as the admin of the uh, Pinal County Sheriff's Office, and I've uh, been there just over 30 years, and I've done a bunch of different stuff there. I was, uh, I've done detention, I've done patrol, I've done detectives, I've done undercover, uh, training, SWAT, motors, I think that's about it. And uh, married with uh, with three kids, two adult kids and, and one boy in high school. Uh, my two girls are my adults and one boy in high school and a uh, wife of 30 years as well here in a couple of months. So uh, uh, kind of irregular in this career to start with the 
with the or finish with yeah, the same absolutely. one you start so with. Congratulations to that first and foremost. Um, yeah. You have definitely had a wide spanning career. When you hit that thirty year mark, or you know, however many years, when you hit towards the end of the career, especially nowadays with retention being so low, it's hard to see people getting to that point. So the fact that you've made it this far yeah. is is notable, just first and foremost. Yeah, and it, it it's weird because when I first got into the career, we were based on a twenty year retirement system, and uh, back then it was it was no big thing for guys to be in twenty five, thirty years, sometimes thirty five. And uh, nowadays, that's getting more and more rare. And the uh, what the years required to finish the career going up too. So here in Arizona, at least, it went from a twenty-year retirement to a twenty-five-year retirement. So that makes it uh, more difficult. Yeah, as well. uh, here in Florida, it went from twenty when I was in the academy uh, to thirty now, and I think they just voted to bring it oh, down to twenty-five. Uh, where I used to work, the city I used to work in was. As I was in the hiring process, it was 20, went up to 25, and everyone, you know, that was senior to me at that point was like, oh, man, you guys just missed it, blah, 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 because they were uh, still grandfathered into the 20, so they didn't have to worry about the 25, Uh, and then as I'm leaving to go to my next agency, they voted it back down to 20. I was like, God darn it, like, I was, I, and and then it was, it was kind of, when I started my second agency, it was really kind of a slap in the face, because I was told, um, it was going to be a 25-year retirement, and I could buy back my time. I was like, okay, I, I don't mind uh, you know, that, um, but it was actually a 30-year retirement, and I couldn't buy back my time. So I went from uh, 15 years left under the new pension system to day one of 30 years, and I was like, well, see ya. Like, that's not – so uh, I, it was hard to think of myself in my 60s doing law enforcement, you know, especially starting from scratch somewhere yeah. brand new. So they do. They keep changing the goalposts yeah. on us. Yeah, and we're – Arizona's kind of in the same uh, boat right now where uh, ours is, is statewide. So everybody's in the same system all across the state. And uh, the legislatures, the sheriffs and the chiefs have been pushing the legislatures for some reform. Uh, because they, we have three tiers right now in the system. So I'm tier one, which is the old stuff, which is 20 years, and you can bounce out. Uh, the next tier was 25 years, and you could bounce out high three. Uh, then the next tier became 25 years. You have to hit a certain age, and it's a 401k. It's not really a, a pension, mm-hmm. and uh, that's just lousy. So we've been trying to uh, get that changed, and it looks like the legislation is is going to make it through, and um, at least. You know, we said at least if it's 25 years, it should be 25 and out. You shouldn't have to hit an age or anything like because a lot of us, you know, like myself, I started when I was 20 years old. So at 25, I would be 45. And if they're making you if they're making the age like 62, well, then what the hell are you going to do in between that that gap? You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I um. And that that's very similar to the way here's here in Florida is, but we still have uh, a lot of municipalities have their own pension system, either tied in with the fire department or not. That's what my old system was like. Mm-hmm. Um, there are agencies here that have 401ks, and then you have the Florida retirement system, which is statewide for like state employees. I think most of our sheriff's offices are tied into it, but also like um, teachers are part of it and things like that. Oh. So it's there. They just haven't. It's not universal statewide. And when I was changing to my old agent or my newest agency, I was talking to people from like California and New York and New Jersey. And they were like, oh, well, we just ladder over, lateral over and everything comes with us. I was like, not me. Like I lost time, status and retirement money. I was like, this is 
totally different. And I, you know, say what you will about those states, at least when you change agencies there, um, they make it a little bit more enticing for you to do so for one reason or another. Yep. Yep. So yeah. Is, same, same here. Is it, is it that that's the way it is in Arizona as well? Yeah. Yeah. You can. Uh, so if we get, <clears throat> if we get a lateral from another agency, uh, they bring their time with, cause it's, it's Arizona public safety time. So, mm-hmm. uh, and the only ones in that are fire and police. Uh, so it's a system specifically for those two. And then even like um, detention and corrections have their own separate one. It's called Corp. So that one's one of its own. Um, so each one of them are separate and they follow you from place to place. And then, uh, you know, what we do is, as what agencies will do, and we do it as well, is uh, to entice laterals is uh, give them uh, credit for their time. So in our, mm. in our step scale, um, if you came over as a 10 year uh, officer from another city or whatever and came to our county, we would give you your 10 years credit and you would come in at a, at a step 10, essentially. OK, see, that that's really enticing. And I feel like if you're listening, if you're a if you're a mover shaker from Florida, you need to listen to this because, <laughs> uh, you know, when I when I sat down day one at my new agency and they're like, no, it's going to be 30 years for you. And our the way because I could have bought back my time, but the the rate that I would have had to oh, yeah. contribute was just in, impossible. It wouldn't have been uh, it's definitely not one for one. So, yeah. you know, it, it it wasn't worth it. So. But to go back to the main point, like it, it's still with all that said, with all that said, to hear someone make it past five or ten years on this job is <laughs> is foreign at this point. Which is so weird to hear, man, because it was nothing for. I mean, it, it was common when I first started that uh, everybody would finish, and very rarely would anybody stop before they hit their retirement age. And now it's becoming the the opposite, and uh, we see it uh, just like the rest of the country where. You have guys and gals getting into this, doing five or 10 years, and uh, especially under this 401k system, five or 10 years in, they have their their money and they can just take that 401k and move it into the private sector. And a lot of them are just uh, leaving and going and doing something completely different most of the Mm -hmm. time, which is, I mean, kudos to them, but it's, Mm -hmm. it's still in our profession. Absolutely. And unfortunately, and and I'm seeing this in my agency, you're losing people, but you're not getting them replaced, you know, because the recruitment or not even recruitment, but the drive to do the job, generally speaking, is not there, you know, and and if you look at the past couple of years in this country, it's like, well, that's no surprise. Um, But what have you seen over like the, the 30 years that you've been doing the job as the reasons why people are leaving early? Is it just because of that pension system and they see that they can move it somewhere or what, what kind of trends have you seen? Yeah, it's it's tough to say, man, because everybody's got their own reasons. I would say there's there's probably a couple of few top reasons, and uh, one of them would obviously be the environment that we're in in U.S. law enforcement, with uh, being scrutinized very heavily, uh, being just portrayed negatively. Uh, That definitely plays into it. Um, I think our pension system plays into it a little bit, because quite frankly, like with with my system, with the twenty year system, where you can hit 20 no age requirements and you can retire and go start another career. If you're 20 something year old and you get into this and you're 10 years in, then you're like, nah, I don't know. Wait, I only have to do 10 more years and I have a guaranteed retirement and I'll be in my forties. And then I can, you know, they can go start a whole nother career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that's very enticing. And, and uh, again, with the new system, I don't think it is as enticing at all. And then uh, the private sector, 
really with being able to work from home, the flexibility of the jobs out there. I think all of that stuff plays into it, man, because uh, the younger generations, the, the generations that are hitting the workforce right now and, and the generation probably ahead of them even uh, that's already in the workforce, those generations of workers, uh, they want a different model for work and home. And uh, mm-hmm. it's it's no longer the you know, mom and dad go off to work all day long and come home and we have the weekends. They want as much time as home at home as possible and uh, as much time with the family as possible, which is not a bad thing. But, you know, obviously in the in the cop world, mm-hmm. our model doesn't fit that. So it, it it's kind of counter to what they're looking for a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the generational needs and wants um, are just so different at this point. And, and that makes a really good point and almost can't blame them, but you're right. As a, as someone sitting in, in the law enforcement sector, it's like, okay, like we get it, but like, we got to find people to get that drive going. And it, it's, it's, it's definitely difficult. And yeah. I, I made a post not too long ago. It's like, you know, working on retention will uh, help your recruitment as opposed to focusing on recruitment instead of retention. But right. e- even so, I think. Oh recruitment at this point is just like you're you're fighting a losing battle just because everyone's mindsets are so different than what even my generation was i think it's winnable though because i I mean we see we don't see phenomenal recruitment numbers but we see good recruitment numbers and i think you're right with the retention piece because we focus you know when we took over as as the administration we focused on the people we had and the environment that they were working in and i think uh, with that, that has actually acted as a natural recruitment uh, because they're happy. They're telling other people how they feel, um, you know, whether it be in the community or whether it be with family. Um, and a lot of people that we get new to the profession and new to our agency, uh, they'll tell the sheriff and I when we interview with them, they'll uh, explain to us how they either saw us or like were watching us, watched us on social media, uh, watched the department and how it operated, or they know somebody within. And that's why they wanted to come there. It was what they saw and what they were told and what they heard about the agency that drew them into that. So um, I, I think the recruitment or the uh, retention piece is huge uh, because if you focus on your people, they're going to be some of your best recruiters. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's obviously with any industry, but, you know, talking about law enforcement, uh, plenty of people, when I said that I was having you on, when I did my little question section, I had many people say, oh my God, you have him on. He's the best boss ever. And in my mind, I'm going, how many places around this country can I say, can say that? Like, (laughs) I, you know, I was like, you know, unfortunately the, the top guys at agencies or girls at agencies, uh, get, they're a lightning rod, right? They're going to, they're going to get all the negative attention and, and unfortunately not enough of the positive attention, but to see someone go through that though, and actually get positive attention to the point of like, when, when you mention their names, they're the, the people under you go, Oh, that's amazing. You know, it's going to be a great conversation, whatever. That's very significant, especially our line of work at this day and time. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, for both the sheriff and I, that's really our goal. Our, our, when we moved into these positions, we really both strongly felt that, um, that a, we were granted these positions that, you know, it it had nothing to do with us 
for the most part, it was it's the work we had done that got us there. Uh, but we were granted the positions. And, and one of the main things of holding a position like this is to serve everybody that uh, works for the agency, not to be served. Um, and I think that's what goes wrong a lot of times with leaders. They And it's easy that I, I can see how it happens. I understand how it happens. And it's hard to to not fall into that trap of, of becoming that boss that uh, starts thinking it's all about you. Um, but I think that's really what sets us apart and, and why you have those conversations with people because I, I care about all my people. I care about the agency and I want what's best for everybody. And I try to uh, empower them and, and try and make it as best as possible of a working environment. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, if chiefs and sheriffs across the nation focused on that, and a lot of them do, they're, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and dog all of them, but uh, a lot of them do focus on that. And you have a lot of good agencies with a lot of good leaders across the nation. We're just, we're in a tough time, man. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think it's going to take those type of leaders uh, getting put into power positions or, or uh, administrative positions where they're holding control of the agency to to turn that culture around of the agencies that don't have it. Right. But like, it's almost a balancing act, too, because not only do you have to keep your rank and file happy, you also have to keep the citizens happy. And then you also have to keep uh, whatever governing body happy as well. So, you know, if you're a, if you're a chief, you got to keep the mayor happy, the community <laughs> and your people. And it's like, I, I guess a sheriff may not have to deal with it as much because they're elected, so to speak. But it's still, I mean, you still have the same balancing act of like the, what the community wants and what maybe your county commissioners may want or something like that. And I also, you know, I feel like the rank and file doesn't always understand that side of it too. And when a directive may come down and they're like, oh, you know, chief doesn't get what I'm saying now, or, you know, they don't care. They forgot what it's like to be down here. Right. They realize that it's actually this tug of war. Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a huge tug of war. And, and it is a lot of misunderstanding. Just, you know, just like people will say, oh, the chief, the sheriff, the the D.C., the A.C., they forgot what it's like to be on the road and they don't know what we're dealing with. And, and you know, th- that could be true for me. You know, I haven't been a street cop on the road for seven years now. I've been in an administrative position, but I have not forgot what cop work is and I have not forgotten how to do cop work. And I know what our guys and gals are going through each day. Uh, because I've done it for so long. And so I know there's a disconnect, but at the same time, we are, we we have this huge balancing act of, of keeping the agency and the employees happy, uh, keeping our citizens happy. And because sometimes those two don't match up, right? What the employees think should happen and what the citizens think should happen uh, can, can be contradictory and you have to work through that and you have to find balance because I think the one mistake that cops make the most is, they think that the power base is within the agency mm-hmm. and it's not your, your power base is not your agency. Your power base is your community. So if, if your community backs your agency and backs your administration, that's your power base uh, because they're going to be the ones that support you. They're going to be the ones telling uh, city council that you better take care of our police department and we're going to vote your ass out and we're going to put somebody else in there. So that's, that's truly your power base. And if those two aren't connecting, or, uh, or, you know, seeing eye to eye, at least, then uh, you're going to have some trouble. And then if you have, I mean, I feel bad for chiefs because our sheriff is elected, so he's accountable to the people. Chiefs are appointed, you know, so they're accountable to a city council and a mayor. And sometimes you can have one of those that is just off the charts 
with how they view law enforcement's job, how they view how we should do our job. And of course that trickles down to the street cops. And so those chiefs have a very difficult job of that balancing act. And, and I, I, I feel bad for them sometimes because there's, there's some of those jobs that I absolutely could not do uh, because of that balancing act. Yeah. And I, you know, not to give people like the chief of LAPD or uh, Portland or NYPD, not to give them any um, extra leeway. Cause I think they may, they were very vocal about their opinions about things during the whole defund act, but the ones like, you know, the middle cities where they were like, stuck between a rock and a hard place where they wanted to do good work. They wanted, you know, their cops to be happy, but they had maybe a, uh, defund minded mayor telling them, no, we're not doing this anymore or whichever. And then they're in a rough spot. And I've gotten into a couple conversations with people where they're like, Oh, well, when you're a chief of police, you're not a political, it's not a political job. I'm like, it most definitely (laughs) is. Like if you don't get, uh, if you don't get your mayor happy, going to oust you and put someone that's going to make him happy or her happy. And, you know, that's where it's, it's this weird dichotomy kind of set up. And, uh, I think one of the best I've watched, I only just recently finished the show for the first time, but a great example of that is the show, the wire, where at the very end of the season, (laughs) end of the show, they're like, Oh, well, this guy isn't following my agenda. So I'm going to oust him and put someone that's just going to be a puppet. And you Mm -hmm. see that so many times in all these cities. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, Great point because you can have you can have those issues where you're you truly want to do the right thing as a chief and you're trying to figure that out and if you just remember through the whole defunding thing um, you did have a lot of chiefs that were like well you know I I don't know what to do because I'm trying to make everybody happy so they're trying to make their their employees happy and keep them them safe and uh, you know wanting to do the work. And they're trying to keep the community happy. So they do this balancing act and, and then they tilt one way or the other because somebody's not. Ha- so community's like, why aren't you doing this? And so then they are, oh, OK, we'll focus on that. Well, then the balance goes down and your employees are like, hey, what about us? Oh, yeah. OK, back to you. And then, you know, it does. And you're constantly chasing that back and forth. Man, that can wear you out. And yeah. I see you, you saw through that whole process, even some of the big city chiefs like the hell with it i'm out i'm not going to do this anymore um which is unfortunate because we need good leaders to to stay right now and to you know get us back on course and i think the pendulum is swinging i think uh a lot of these cities with you know the woke and the defund and all that crap i think they are all realizing that their methodology doesn't work and they should probably listen to the uh the cops that know what they're doing and those leaders that know what they're doing of those agencies yeah. And, and I mean, the numbers don't lie. When you look at the crime stats that have gone up in these defund cities, um, <clears throat> it's definitely uh, showing that obviously police work does work and it's not as uh, uh, evil as, you know, the agenda was making it uh, sound to be. Um, so for everyone that is still in the job, right, how do they get to the end goal? How do they get to the finish line? Like what kind of mindsets, what kind of thoughts would you recommend to these people to like stay on, stay true? You know, what, how'd you get to where you are is basically what I'm, what I'm getting at. Well, I'm, I'm not a quitter for one. So I just, I don't, I don't have quit in me. So I want to keep going. I had milestones and I'll tell you, I have a, a buddy that was a, uh, a seal and he was, he 
was on uh, Deb Brew team, team six, and I asked him, like, how did you get through Buds and then Green teams to get on? And uh, he told me it's it's all increments, man. You have to focus on increments. And so I think it's the same for us in this career. You can't look at 25 years down the road and say, oh, my God, it's so far away. You just have to look at what, what am I going to do right now? And what do I have to get to next? And what do I have to get to next? And so for me, what got me through a lot of this or what made the time go by for me really quickly, actually, was you, you I kind of read off all the stuff I did. I was all over the place. So mm-hmm. I would I would be doing a job. I'd be learning a job and I wanted to get proficient at it. And then I would be digging that job. And then I, I kind of got to where I was like, all right, man, I've, I've done this. I like it. Uh, what else can I do? And I look mm-hmm. around and well, let's go there next and let's try that. And I would just, you know, keep moving around and doing different stuff, learning different things and trying to learn and do as much as I could. And then all of a sudden I look and I'm like, holy smokes, I'm at the tail end of my career, you know? Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good idea, kind of like chunking your time and and focusing on that. And I think another big thing is like, a lot of what you were saying was very personal, right? It was like, I'm going to do this. I'm doing that. Not looking around the the static around you, whatever that may be. So if you're not in an agency that is so well led, you know, don't get so distracted by what may be going on in your periphery, but focus on, on you and your career and doing what's the best for you. Because I think at that point you get, so many naysayers and so many critics within your own agency, right? Like the person sitting next to you in squad briefing, that's just going to, you know, Oh, you're putting in for that class. That's a terrible idea. Why would you, Oh, you're putting in for that position. Why would you do that? But if you just focus on what you want, that's a great way of advancing your career. Well, and I, I never paid attention to any of the noise because that's all it is, is, is noise. And if you, uh, if you're, you get into leadership at all, one of the best leadership lessons that I was ever taught and, and, helped me in, in what you're talking about was uh, a guy that I was taking a class with drew a circle. And he says, I want you to write inside that circle, what you actually control in your life, not what, what is perceived control, like what you actually control, like your attitude, you know, just write those down. I was like, all right. And there's about three things in your life that you actually have control of. And uh, everything else is outside of that circle. And so as I wrote those three things and then I would start to write something, he's like, nope, that's not in your control. And and he would describe why. OK, put that on the outside of the circle. And so when you get done, you have all this stuff on the outside of the circle. You have two or three things inside the circle. And he said, those two or three things that you control, worry about that shit. Don't worry about everything else. And uh, that was huge for me. Uh, just a, a huge mind shift because then I was like, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I don't control all that. So I'm going to go for this position. Boom. They gave it to somebody else. Cool. I'm going to be ready the next time. So they can't give it to somebody else. So I'm going to get, I'm going to go as many classes as I can go. I do as much stuff as I can do to get ready for that the next time, because that's mm-hmm. where I'm going and I'm not letting anybody stop me. Um, and instead of letting it get you down, cause you know, people will do that. Like, ah. Oh, the hell with them. They only pick that guy because of this, or they only pick that guy because of that. None of that stuff is in my control. So I'm not worried about it. I'm just worried about me and and pushing forward. Yeah. And that's the beauty of the focusing on what you can control and the beauty of goal being goal oriented. Um, You know, when you, 
I feel like a lot of people, when they decide on the police academy or, or whatever it might be, when they decide on that, that is their only focus. And they, you know, they train for it. They study up. They do everything. And then um, the moment graduation comes, that all goes away. And, like, their 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 uh, pinpoint focus kind of branches off into so many different things. And they try to do all these things at once. Yeah. And I saw a quote this morning that was, like, a professional athlete only focuses on that, on that sport that they're in. You don't see – I mean – there are some outliers, of course, Bo Jackson and all that, but for the most part, they only focus on the one thing that they excel at the most and what they want the most. And if you're a law enforcement officer and you use that mindset, what is your goal? Like, do you want to be a narcotics detective? Then focus on everything to go there. Do you want to just be a really good road cop? Focus on that. And I think those goals that you're talking about um, were so easy to get caught up in the negative that we kind of drift away from that but that's a great way to kind of stay focused and worry about what you can control if, if what you want is that one thing do everything to control that one thing right and and i've watched uh i've watched guys internally i've watched guys from other agencies um and i'll, I'll talk about internally first where we've had somebody that uh you know we're we're interviewing for a position and and uh, one of the, the classic questions for any position is, what have you done to prepare yourself for this position? And uh, you would be surprised at how many people don't have a solid answer for that. They're just like, well, you know, I, I show up to work on time and I'm a good employee or, you know, whatever. Like, OK, cool. This is uh, uh, a position that is working undercover narcotics. Like, what have you done to prepare for that? And, you know, they give those basic answers and, like, and that's that's not the answer. The, the answer is I've been to these schools. I've, I've uh, TDY'd with the narcs and, and, you know, ridden with them or, or learned from them, picked their brains. I've written search warrants, you know, all the stuff that goes along with that particular position. Somebody that dives into that craft and, and essentially tries to learn as much as they can without doing that position so that they can get that position. And then outside um, guys that, uh, they, they are leaving their agency and they want to come to our agency. Uh, and the specific reason is they don't have room for expansion. So, you know, any of those listeners out there that are like, well, my PD is too small and I can't do X, Y, and Z. Cool. Go somewhere where you can. If you, if you want to do a certain thing and you can't get there where you're at, then you have to find another path because if you right. just sit there and bitch about it, it's still not changing. Right. Right. And, and I think that's a big key too, is like, you know, you get disgruntled by what what is in front of you, what you have at, at the agency you're working for. And it's like, OK, let's focus on what the facts are. The fact is my agency doesn't have X, Y, Z and I want X, Y, Z. Why not go look for something that does have X, Y, Z? And I think a lot of guys aren't willing to make that jump for whatever reason. I mean, it could be like me where they don't want to lose their pension, their time or whatever. And then it's right. like, okay, well then what do you really want? Do you want X, Y, and Z, or do you want to keep a good pension? Then you got to shift your own focus. Yeah. Um, and and if, that's, I would say if they want X, Y, and Z and it's not there, there is an alternative option. And I've seen guys do this where they say, well, I don't have, let's say interdiction for, for one we don't have an interdiction team or we don't have like just an interdictor spot. So I can't, I can never be just a solid interdictor. Okay, cool. We'll go prove to your chief why that would be a key position and, you know, do what you can on the time that you can, because I was a patrol guy 
And I took my calls for service. And when I didn't have a call for service, I was out doing proactive stuff. Mm -hmm. I was out making stops and on views and forming information. And then I was learning from my detectives. Like, hey, when I stop somebody and uh, I, I want this, that, or the other, how do I get there? And I started learning from my detectives. Here's how you form CIs. Here's how you get information. Here's how you do all that stuff. Um, and for those, again, for the smaller agencies where you have an agency you work for, and maybe you don't have that spot, going and sitting down with the chief and telling them, because especially in today's world, man, I, I think you can write your own book. You, you go in and you sit down with the chief and say, chief, love the agency, love working here. These are my goals, but I don't feel like I can get to them from here. And so I, you know, I would like to stay, but if I stay, I really want to focus on these things. How can I get there? And work with your administration because they may say, you know what, let's figure it out, man. We, mm-hmm. we need to get the dope off the street still, so let's figure it out. And you may create what is not there. Right, right. And that kind of goes to the chief being so separated from from the streets, you know. And maybe it's something that he hadn't even thought of because it's been so long, you know. Like, oh, DUI unit, right? Like, that's just an idea. Like, oh, chief, like, it's really bad here, you know, whatever. Exactly. If you're the one that takes that and you could always have the negative people that, Hey, it's not going to work out. That's fine. But what if it does? And the chief really sees that like, man, this is some leadership action. This was some initiative. Like, and then that's going to put a star in your corner for like, as your career progresses, what if, you know, what does that say? Like the chief is always going to say like, Oh, I remember this guy came up with this idea and so on and so forth. So it really can just pay dividends into your career down the road too, just to have that initiative, even if it doesn't work out. No, absolutely. And and even if, uh, you know, you don't, let's say that chief leaves, right? And so that chief leaves, but you've still done the thing you've done. It's still in place. And you go to promote. When they ask you, because they're going to ask you during promotion process, what have you done to prepare for this, right? And those are going to be the things you talk about. Well, I saw an issue. This was the issue. And how I addressed it was this. I went to the administration and I showed them where the issue was, how we could solve the issue. Because I can tell you as, as, a, as a chief, uh, like problems are easy to hear, man. I could hear that shit all day long. There's problems everywhere, but very few people come with solutions. They just want to tell you their problems. They don't want to come up with a solution for you. Everybody wants you to figure that out. So when I have people that, that come to me and say, chief, I've identified a problem. I have a solution and I have a couple avenues I'd like to take to, to solve the problem. Dude, that's easy for me. Then I'm, you know, for me, it's just like, okay, yeah, let's, let's go do it. Yeah. I, there were many times when I was in a narcotics unit and I said, Sarge, I got this, I, you know, I've noticed this problem and why don't we do this now? A good Sergeant like mine, uh, was like, Hey, that's not a bad idea, but what about this? And then like, we build this amazing idea or task force or whatever it was. And, you know, we were going really good. We were going full steam ahead and then pandemic happened and the riots happened and everything. So nothing ever really came of it. But it, it started all from the one thing. Right. And late, you know, now, years later, when uh, different opportunities come up and you sit down for different interviews, like, when was a time that you saw a problem that needed to be fixed and what did you do to solve it? And boom, there you go. Like, yeah. it's, it's great. And especially people like me who are kind of moving beyond law, the law enforcement game – the the civilian world digs that too though for the most oh, part yeah. so um you yeah. know when they hear like oh there was a crime trend and i did that like those big words like the civilian world goes oh oh damn okay so you did yeah. that okay sure so i mean it it's really 
initiative is never going to be a problem. I think the problem is focusing on those things that you can't control stops your initiative. But if you just focus on what it is you want, um, I think that's a great way of, first off, you taking that initiative and then people seeing what you're worth. And I had a conversation uh, in in podcast time, it'll be in a few weeks, but had a conversation where they were talking about like the disgruntled cop, right? The one that's been shot down for every idea and they just go, ah, fuck it, I'm not going to do it anymore. (laughs) But, you know, when you give that one person a leg up eventually, and this is kind of to the leaders, right? Like, if you throw that guy a bone every once in a while, like, hey, Jim, you know what? Let's try this. Then you're going to, like, revitalize his career. He may be 20 years there and ready to go, but if you want to get a little bit more out of him, yeah. that's how you do it. You you kind of toss him an idea or take one of their old ideas and run with it. Why not? Yeah, and we've had uh, a lot of success with that model because we've had – guys that have been essentially blacklisted by, by some of their leadership somewhere throughout their career. Right. Right. So you have guys that they just have that stigma attached to them. And then all of a sudden they're putting in for something and they'll even, they'll put in for it and they'll be like, Oh, I'm never going to get it. You know, they hate me. I'm this, I'm that, whatever. And we'll get those. and We'll be like, yeah, let's, let's give them a shot at redemption. Right. It's, and then, you know, you kind of tell them like, Hey man, you have this stigma. Like nobody's denying that. Like, we know it, you know it, everybody knows it. Uh, you're known as that guy. This is your shot, dude. Don't be that guy anymore. And let's get you out of that hole and get you back on track. Mm-hmm. Right. And think of think of both sides of that coin. So you do that. You give him a bone. You give him a chance. If he screws up, that's on him. Right. If he does great, that's, an- that's another win for the administration, for oh, him, yeah. for everything down the way. Like, oh, man, they took a chance on someone and this happened. And on the flip side, if you don't give him the chance – then it's just he's just going to fester like a cancer, and the negative morale is just going to go through wherever he touches. He's going to be like uh, the reverse of King Midas. Everything he touches is going to go to shit. So right. you know, it's well, and so, guys like that tend to be gold mines, man. Because I mean, usually, uh, typically speaking, they've been around for a minute, so they they've seen plenty of stuff, know plenty of stuff. Um, they're just mentally in a bad spot, and when they get that shot again, and they do get revitalized, they're a gold mine, man, because they have a lot of experience. Uh, they have a lot of knowledge and they not only will they do a good job, but they will also teach others and they'll 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 be more vested in the agency or, or back being vested in the agency. Right, right. So I think, you know, when you get those guys that and we say guys, but we mean guys or girls right. that have mentally checked out of it for, you know, the, the career does beat you down sometimes when you are able to bring them back. It's like, holy crap, this is, this is beautiful. This is what we needed this whole time. And who knows what that's going to do for them personally. Right. And so on and so on. It's a ripple effect. At that well, point. and I can tell you, you know, I've had those, those exact things and it really does my heart good when you run into those guys and they are just, they're happy. They're doing well, they're kicking butt. And, and I mean, you know, for me, that's a, a complete win. And just makes my heart feel warm because you know that they're in a good spot again. Right. I had a one of my first training officers, um, you know, he, he was a bit of a dick. And, <laughs> you know, he, he broke me down. I op- openly or uh, eventually did not pass training, uh, not because of him, but, you know, through whatever. But eventually I did pass training and got to be on my own, um, narcotics, crime scene, so on. And when he had gotten promoted, he, he got to me. Uh, we were at the gas pumps and he's talking. He's like, oh, man, I saw it in you this whole time. I'm like, no, you didn't. But <laughs> that's fine. But the same kind of idea, though, like he was like, man, you really flourish and to be a great cop. You're doing all these great things. And 
same idea, right? So even if his tough love, as he was calling it, uh, really was a teaching tactic, I still don't believe so. But even if it was, like, it's really, you know, if you think of, like, gardening or whatever, like, if you prune some dead dead uh, limbs, you're going to get a bigger bloom. And I think that's kind of what this is all talking about. Yep, absolutely, man. I, I 100% agree. Yeah. Um, and then the other topic we talked about a little bit is the use of social media for your agency. <laughs> like you guys are all over it, um, which is great. And I feel like so many agencies now need to be on social media. And when they are, it's just terrible. It's just <laughs> terrible for either it's dry. Like I can't, I, I start, I should start like a drinking game. Every time I just see like a screenshot of a press briefing and that's all they give the community. Um, or they're cringy about it, you know. You just see yeah. guys dancing and things like that. But meanwhile, you and and the American sheriff, you know, you guys are just out there kicking ass, um, doing what needs to be done and everything. So first, the first thing I want to ask about is like, how do you do it? Like, how do you get social media to be an effective tool for recruitment, retention, and just to let the public know, like, hey, this is what we're about. You listen. You listen to your people. You listen to the generations that are good at that stuff because my gen, I'm a Gen Xer, right? So I'm on the cusp of when technology started coming around. So like when I was working undercover, I had a MySpace account and some people won't even know what the hell that is. And that's right. how old it was, right? And so uh, when the sheriff took over, actually, I had been wanting to change the model of this since I was a lieutenant. I I always felt that we did it wrong in cop work. We were always training cops to go on camera. And I'm like, this is so stupid, man, because we're just not built that way. And it's counterintuitive for us because we live this closed life our whole time. And it's counterintuitive to go on camera and do these interviews. And they're always so dry and business-like and, and you know that's all we would do and it always seemed to me like we were always delivering bad news too like hey we had another murder or hey there was this bad crash or you know it was always that kind of crap so uh, when uh, when mark took over as a sheriff we had a discussion about that and i said dude i would really like to bring in someone from the media because what i understood about the media at that time is if you know anything about the news cycles and the news anchors and all that stuff a lot of that, um, those news anchors have to create their own uh, like hype and their own audience base. Um, and to make themselves marketable, that's when at, at this time, this was 2017. So during that time frame, they were having to get their own viewer base, really. They, they were having to, you know, and the girl that, that uh, I knew that was in the industry, I knew that she had to have followers on her Twitter. She had to have followers on her Instagram. So she knew all that stuff. She knew how to do it. And so we approached her and said, hey, we would like you to come be a PIO with us. Because uh, my theory was that it would be much easier to teach a media person the cop world than it would be to expect a cop to function correctly in the media world. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went with that model. And that's where we started. Uh, it didn't take off right away. Um, so she she laid a lot of the foundation. And then, of course, the private market stole her away from us uh, very mm -hmm. quickly after a couple of years uh, because she was even more marketable then to uh, that industry. And uh, so we picked up another one. Actually, we picked up two, um, one as a PIO, one as a videographer and a kind of a backup PIO. Um, they were a little bit younger. 
They understood what we were talking about even more so. Um, and they have some great ideas. And, and some of the stuff like Fridays with Frank, that was a culmination of the sheriff wanting something uh, that he, cause a lot of times he'll come in and he'll, he'll be like, I think we need to go this direction, but I don't know what it looks like. And then we'll let them have the creative space to create some things. And essentially they're creating shows really. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so they're like writers at a show. And so they'll sit there and they'll brainstorm and they'll come into the sheriff and I and say, okay, we have this idea. Uh, how about this? And uh, that's where Fridays with Frank came about. Uh, you know, that was one of those ideas. They did it. Um, it kind of started slow, but as, as anybody knows that has seen it, it's got a lot of followers, almost a cult-like following now, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, where, you know, every Friday they're waiting for the, the latest video from Frank. So we do stuff like that. And the theory has always been that we treat it like a bank account and we want to do positive investments all the time. So we always want to be in the black in our bank account because we know we're going to have a huge withdrawal come one time or another, we're going to have something bad. We've had some of our people arrested. You know, we've had detention officers arrested. We've had some cops get in trouble. Those are withdrawals, right? So when you have a, a bad event, that's a withdrawal from your, your bank account. And so we always wanted to have positives going in so that when there was, was a withdrawal, it was not as big of a hit and the positivity overrode that. And then we don't focus on the negative. We just, we acknowledge it. And then we move forward and we keep focusing on the positive. Um, and then for the sheriff and I specifically, uh, we kind of opened up to the public and kind of said, hey, here's who we are. Like the sheriff, especially I'm, I'm the sheriff. I'm in charge of your agency. And then for me, hey, I'm the sheriff's second in command and I help him do that. And uh, we kind of show ourselves in, in our everyday lives. And of course, you know, social media is is you showing the best of your life. Um, but nonetheless, we just show you know, here's here's who we are. Here's the guys we are. We have fun. Uh, you know, we like guns. We like to shoot. We love America. We love God. Uh, we do things with our family, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think it connects because uh, that's the one thing the sheriff and I always tell everybody is like, we're just regular dudes, man. We're, mm -hmm. just, we're doing a job and, and we're in charge of a fantastic agency. Uh, but when it boils down to it, we're just God loving or yeah, God fearing, God loving, American loving dudes that like to do dude stuff. We like to be goofy. Uh, I'm a jokester. He's a jokester. So we just have fun with it. And I think people connect with the, uh, the authenticity really. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing is the authenticity. I think too many times when uh, agencies and, and professionals in, in our career try to do social media they're not authentic you're like this is stupid like <laughs> you know you're out here dancing with the community you look like an idiot like this is not authentic but you do see but then there's times when i remember when i was in the academy they showed us a youtube video of this guy a cop directing traffic in the middle of the city and it was a cop you know he's wearing his vest and everything and he's dancing he's having a good time and you can tell that he's not doing it because there's a camera there he's doing right. it because that's who he is he's having fun with it right. and you can tell the difference like when uh when cops play football with kids in the street you can tell when it's real and when it's just a photo op and right. all those things make a difference and what you were saying about like training cops to go on camera or whatever it, it just sounds like a robot every single time like yeah. on monday we had it stop just don't do that and i i was i've been watching um i just finished the documentary on netflix for the uh, boston marathon bombing mm. and watching those law enforcement people 
on the cameras for things. And eventually one of them comes through is the big guy. I think he was the commissioner or something for Boston PD. And he was just real with it. Like he talked like a cop. He talked yeah. like, you know, he wasn't a politician. He wasn't being polished. He was like, yeah, this sucks, you know, like yeah. whatever. And I think that's where, uh, people like, like Mark Lamb, like Grady Judd, like they get, they're authentic with what they say. Like, you know, Grady Judd here in Florida is big with like, you know, why'd you shoot him 67 times? Because we only had 67 bullets. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. People respond to that, whether, you know, that, you know, some people may not like that, but the people that support law enforcement and stuff like that, they're like, right. yeah, like that's, that's a real thing. Don't be like, oh, well, unfortunately, you know, you can tell when it's full of shit. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing with you guys. Um, and the great thing, you know, we always talk about humanizing the badge and then they do something silly. No, humanize the badge and show us who you are. And that's one of the best things I love about having people come onto this show who may have a social media following or who may be uh, figures of note and just talking to them and realizing that they are just regular people doing regular things. And you may know their name for one reason or another, but they're just normal people. Right. Yeah. And, and I think the normalcy is really what helps us. And, and like, you know, even with uh, not necessarily with any of the, the series things that we do, but uh, just our social media in general, we like to we constantly remind our PIOs like, hey, let's let, talk to some of the supervisors, go out and be with the sergeants, go over and walk the jail uh, because there's stories everywhere in this agency because everybody's a person and uh there's so many great stories because we have employees that are doing great things in the community. We have some employees that are war heroes. So tell those stories, man, because that's what people need to understand that, you know, we're people just like them. And that's one of the big things we say, because we live in the community that we police. Mm -hmm. And so I am at soccer games with the same people that I'm charged with protecting and serving. And uh, you know, all of that stuff matters because they want to feel connected to you in the old standoffish cop. And I used to be one of them, man. I, you know, just stand back, arms crossed and everybody's a bad guy. Don't trust anybody. And you can't, you can't function in that world. Man. Mm -hmm. This does mm -hmm. not work. You have to be approachable. Uh, you have to be open to people. Um, and I think that is, is that's been one of our biggest successes is that when we showed it from the top, it just naturally flowed throughout our ranks. And like, uh, you know, there's plenty of our, our uh, patches on social media where um, somebody throughout our ranks has their own social media following. And we're like, yeah, get after it, man. Like, do your thing. As long as you're not doing anything that's going to embarrass the agency against policy or anything like that, go do your thing. Show our patch. Show our badge. Be proud of it because we're proud of it. And honestly, it's free advertising. Why wouldn't mm -hmm. you do that? Mm -hmm. Come to Pinal County because, you know, we're good. Yeah. And, you know, a couple of things with that is um, I think a lot of people in the in the public forget that the police department or the sheriff's office is a mosaic of the community. It's literally different pieces of the community coming together to pr protect it. And the only way they know that is if they interact with it or they see it, because right. if you're just the cop driving around with your windows up, you know, not even waving at people, right. then, yeah, they're going to think that, oh, you know, the, the cop really doesn't care, blah, blah, blah. But if you have either a vibrant social media thing, because that's probably the easiest at this point, or you get out and talk to people and you interact with the community, that's how people get to know the true you. And it's not, 
oh, there's that dick cop. Oh, it's it's you know it's Matt, and he's uh you know he's at the soccer game with his yeah. kids or whatever. Well, totally a different dynamic. And I would say uh, to that same point that if you're not doing that stuff, you're not a good cop because you're not getting any info, you're not getting any intel, you don't know your beat, you don't know your area. Um, and I, I'll I'll give you a little story. We I was a lieutenant at the time, and we were having a problem in an area, and uh, nobody could figure out. We had just graffiti going up everywhere. Nobody could figure out who was putting this graffiti up. Allegedly, nobody could figure it out. And so, uh, you know, we met with our sergeants. We met with some of the deputies, and we're like, who is this that's putting, the, you know, that's tagging this crap all over the place? Um, and they were like, yeah, we, you know, we've been trying to figure it out, and we just can't figure it out. And so I told one of my uh, – my sergeants, he's actually my third in command now. And uh, I told him, I said, dude, we're going to go out. We're going to go out on a Friday night, you and I. I said, we're just going to bake her up because um, some of the areas were a little bit rougher than others. And so I said, we're going to bake her up. We're going to ride around and we're going to figure this out. And he's like, okay. So we go out and we did a little detail and there were other guys out. Um, and we started, I, I want to say probably about 1800. And by midnight, we knew who was doing the painting, where they hung out where they lived, who they associated with. And it was all rolling through neighborhoods with my windows down, stopping and actually talking and engaging people. And not like, hey, what are you doing? Come here. <laughs> Just getting out. And like, we walked into a party. There was a party yeah. going on. So we walked into the party and we're like, whose house is this? Oh, it's mine. Is, is something wrong? Nah, man. We just wanted to say, hey, she's like, what are you, what's the party about? What's the birthday? Well, whose birthday is it? It's so-and-so. Mm -hmm. hey, let's go say happy birthday. And so we just hung out at the party for a minute, talked to some people. And pretty soon we had a couple of guys that were like, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're out looking for the guys that are spray painting these walls. And boom. Get some information. Yeah. And, you know, I always you saying that just kind of triggered to me uh, what people always say is, um, oh, people don't call the police on their on their good days. Right. They don't invite <laughs> them over to the cookout or whatever, which they don't. But nothing saying that you can't just show up at the cookout. Like if you know if right. if you get before you get the noise complaint, stop by the house and see what's going on. And you never know. My biggest thing I always used to go to convenience stores, and when I'm in there getting an energy drink or whatever, or some coffee in the middle of the night, talking to people, yeah, and just seeing what's going on. I had a very good working relationship in my area with shop owners and you know the people that are there all the time. They're your eyes on the street because. Your your cruiser drives by, all the all the dirt goes away. But the moment it drives, it leaves. The dirt comes back. But guess who's still there? The shop owner. They see yeah. the entire thing. And there were many times where I'd be like, "Hey, Jimmy, what's uh, you know, what's this and this?" And he goes, "Oh, you know, just look for this kid or whatever." And it was so easy. Yeah. Um, and then if you know your your uh, your citizens, um, I feel like cops are so afraid to walk these days, right? They walk down the, the streets of their, of their beat and, uh, you know, walking beat, God forbid. I mean, you guys are in Arizona, I'm in Florida, so it is hot and I get that. But if you walk a little bit, um, it's amazing what you see that you would otherwise miss in your patrol car. And it really literally and figuratively opens up your eyes to what's out there. Oh yeah, absolutely. You, you learned so much and I learned it doing surveillance, you know, undercover was, was one of the biggest places that I, I learned that you have to get away from, especially like we're in black and white. It's very recognizable, right? But to your point, we would park those things at the end of the block and then just walk the block and, you know, walk down, see what we could see, see who we could run into. And that's where it's at. That's where you're, you're part of the neighborhood then. And you're starting to see what's going on, who's up to what. 
And uh, that's, you know, everything is moving in front of you at that point instead of hiding. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. You know, I, I saw something where it was a police car um, on the side of the road and it was like, this is the human equivalency of a scarecrow, you know, because everyone's going to see that, and, you know, fly away or whatever. But the moment you just put it there as a ghost car and then you are somewhere else, you can see so many different things. And I, yeah. I think that's a that's a great point of view um, that cops may not. You know, because unfortunately, too many times cops focus on the perimeters of the box. They don't think outside the box enough. Right. Simple things like that will engage your community, but it also make you a better crime fighter, too. Oh, yeah, for sure, man. So um, this has been absolutely great. I think we're really touching on a lot of important key points regarding leadership and just kind of moving an agency forward. So I really want to thank you for that. I do have a few questions for you from my listenership. Let me go ahead and pull that up real quick. Cool. Um, I, I think I only got one. Everything else was just praise for you as a person and as a boss. But well, I appreciate ahead. that, man. <laughs> it it feels, uh, feels nice to hear people saying nice things instead of, oh, he sucks. <laughs> Right. No, absolutely. So uh, let me see. I'll read them off to you. So first was you. How did I score this dude? Uh, the next one, uh, one of your deputies who's been on our show quite a few times uh, said, excited to, excited you get to sit down with one of the best bosses. We're lucky down here. Uh, and Appreciate then I got that. another one that says, that's my chief and a badass, straightforward dude, a true leader. <laughs> and then uh, this one is, are there any questions that you have never answered? Are there any questions you have yet to answer? Like anything that you want to talk about uh, that you've never been asked, dude. I don't. That's a tough question in and of itself. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think so. I think uh, really in doing podcasts and stuff, I'm pretty. I'm pretty open book, man. The the one thing I can't say that it. I haven't been asked, but I've been asked, and I I refused to go there. Was uh, I lost a daughter and. Uh, yeah, I don't go there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for understandable reasons. Um, and then the last questions I have for you, these are kind of the ones I ask all my guests, just kind of see where you're at on these certain uh, issues. So the first one I'm going to ask you is, what's the best book you've read recently? Oh, man. Uh, well, I've got it. I'm in it right now, and uh, Jack Carr is a friend of mine, and uh, – his books, dude, if, if you haven't read like the terminal list and the series of books in that, um, and that's for fiction, right? So, mm-hmm. so for fiction books, one of the best, like I, every time I read his books, I'm just, I'm in it. I can, he describes things so well that you're just like, you can literally feel the blood squirting on you when he's talking about mm-hmm. it. So love his books for fiction. Uh, and then I'm a history buff, and I would say uh, for um, for nonfiction books, I really liked. I just finished DeSantis's book, and mm-hmm. uh, I really liked that. And, and I don't know where I, I have a new appreciation for him actually too, mm-hmm. because I was kind of like, eh, I don't, I wasn't too sure about him uh, until I read his book and uh, kind of learned his background and and especially learned what he did with your state going through 2020. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was just really impressed, man. And I, I gained a new level of respect for him. Uh, and I was happy to see him uh, jump into the president's race. Cause I think our country needs uh, to, uh, well, we need a lot of stuff, but I, I, I <laughs> we need good leaders stepping up to, to try and get that office to, to 
to fix the country. And so right. that would, so DeSantis's book would be my nonfiction and, and Jack Carr is always number one in the, uh, the fiction arena. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. I haven't read either of those yet. Uh, my reading list is so long at this point. I had a guest on not too recently or not too, not too far away. And he's like, Hey man, did you check out my book? I'm like, man, I'm not going to lie to you. No, just because I've got so many books that I had. I've had so many guests on that have written books that I haven't got to because I just yeah. I haven't gotten to it yet. So, uh, definitely they're on my list. Just haven't gotten there yet. If it's an audio book, better chance of me listening to it than reading it just because I'm always driving at this Dude, point. But, same, same here. It, which is <laughs> odd, right? Because I, so I wrote a book and then people are like, did you do an audiobook? I'm like, no, which is odd because that's all I really do is audiobooks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, what is something that you do to ground yourself? Oh man, listen to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> because uh I'll tell you what, here's the thing, man. Like with titles and stuff, it's real easy to get caught up in those. Um, because people treat you differently because of that mm-hmm. title. And uh it's really odd, man, because I consider myself a pretty humble guy, um, but it really, it tricks you, man. Um, and, and you, you get this rank and then you think people are going to act normal or, or, you know, not act differently. Uh, but it just, by nature they do. And, uh, but there's always, there's two people in my life that are 100% real to me all of the time. And that is my wife and my mom. And so for my wife, that keeps me grounded because like she, she doesn't give a shit about my title. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, right. You still got to take the trash out. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm, I'm still just the husband, just the dad. And uh, so she keeps me really grounded. And, and honestly, when I'm having a tough time with stuff, uh, she puts things in perspective for me because uh, she's looking at it from a whole different angle, right, mm-hmm. than I am. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's that's my rock. Yeah, I you know I I was thinking about this this morning in the gym. I had I had watched a, a social media video and it was talking about um, how it it was like a business minded thing and the guy was like, oh, do you think Elon Musk has a work life balance? And I'm like, he probably does. You just don't see it. Right. But then it got me thinking about exactly what you're saying. And I remember seeing an interview with Dave Grohl from Foo Fighters, and he had just finished uh, playing with Paul McCartney when they were doing the Nirvana remake stuff and the interviewer was like, what do your kids think about you playing with Paul McCartney? They're like, and he goes, they just want chicken nuggets. Like they don't <laughs> care. I'm, I am not Dave Grohl of the Foo Fighters. I am dad. Like, you know, and, and talk about grounding you. And then Chris Pratt, they asked his kid what his, their favorite superhero was. And they said, Iron Man, it wasn't even their oh, dad. You know man. What I mean? oh, <laughs> so what a gut check. <laughs> right. But like, it kind of makes sense to what you're just saying. Like, yeah. Hey man, your title, your status means nothing to the people that love you. Like that truly love you. So right. that's a great grounding experience. And I didn't even think about that until this morning and then to right now. So that, that was great. Yep. What is something that you do for self care? Oh man, the gym is my number one self care. That's my, uh, both mental, uh, being and, uh, you know, just health in general. That's my kind of my escape spot where, you know, cause uh, like if I'm running on the treadmill with my, my ears on, listen to music or whatever, that's my just getaway time to clear out my head. Um, and my wife is typically my workout partner when we get to lifting and stuff. Uh, so it's kind of our time together where we can talk, we can chat, or we could just sweat out hate. And mm-hmm. uh, um, so I would say that's probably my number one thing. And then second to that would be uh, getting outdoors, hunting and fishing. 
Nice, nice. I just started getting into fishing and haven't caught anything yet. But that's bro, you're surrounded by water. You should be fishing all the time. I know, I know, and that's what I'm starting to do now. I'm like, I, I drive around my fishing rod uh, in my car, and if I ever have some downtime, I just go find a body of water and go. Yep. Um, so yeah, I definitely get that. I'm far from like an angler or anything, but it's nice. Hey. It honestly, you just cast off and then you just chill. Yeah, and that's, that's it. That's all I need. Uh, would you open an envelope with your death date written inside of it? Ooh, man. I don't think so. I don't think I would. Um, you know, part of me, of course, would want to know so that I could, you know, be ready for it. But uh, I just don't think I, I would want to know that because I mm. it would make you live a whole different way, right? You, you wouldn't live normally. Um, so no, I, yeah, I wouldn't open that one. Right. Cause I, th- I think at, at, there's two sides with it. Like, yeah, I know the day, but also at the same time you can kind of pro- procrastinate, but you know, there's an end. So it's kind of, it's, it's weird. Um, yeah. I, I agree. Would you be friends with yourself? Oh uh, yeah. And, and not in a, like a, a weird, uh, egotistical way, but I have friends like me. And so I, I know, mm. you know, personalities and stuff. I would, I'd get along with me. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's good. Um, what do you want from other people? Oh man. I really, I don't want anything from other people. I, I would just, if there was any like wanting, I would just want them to be good people. Like, Mm-hmm. good humans because uh I, th- I think that all that helps all of us no, no matter what beliefs they have anything like that if if they were just good okay what sort of impact are you looking to make and how do you make it well i'm looking to leave everything better than i got it um and i think to do that you have to be willing to do some hard things put in some hard work um, and you have to be willing to hear your faults and how you can improve, because I think that's a huge part of it. Yeah, I think that's one that we tend to ignore is is how we can improve. You know, we God, dude, hear how good we're doing. Sucks to hear that you suck, but I mean, it's the only way you can get better. Absolutely. How do you define the word friendship? Man. Uh, I think friendship to me would be uh, really somebody who has undying loyalty to the relationship. Because okay. uh, I have some like that. And I think when, when they're just completely loyal to the relationship, meaning uh, that they're they're about or they only worry about how it goes when you're together. So like, you don't have to always talk. You don't always have to hang out, but when you do, man, it's cool quality time and there's no agendas. There's, you know, nobody's trying to get anything from anybody. Mm-hmm. It's just, mm-hmm. you're loyal to one another. And yeah. Yep. I feel that. How do you define the word happy and what makes you happy? Man, you, you got some zingers, bro. <laughs> That's why we hold them to the very end. Happy. Um, I don't even know how I would define the word happy. I, I guess just, uh, 
a feeling of being content uh, would be happy to me. And then uh, what makes me happy these days is really, uh, you know, being around my, my family, my, my wife, my kids, and especially my grandkid now, because I've got a new grandbaby and that's a whole different level of happy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. For sure. And the last one I got for you, what do you think is the meaning of life? Ooh, man, I think the meaning of life is to be who you were meant to be. And okay. so I think our stories are all written. Um, I think some of us stray off of, you know, what that storyline is sometimes, but I think we were all meant to be somebody and to do specific things on this earth. And when you fulfill that, then yeah. All right. Perfect. All right. So this is it. That's, that's all the questions I have for you today. I really appreciate your conversation. I think this was great. I I definitely learned a lot and hopefully those of the, my listeners who uh, needed some ideas to how to advance their career, survive their career and so on. (laughs) Um, Definitely got some tips. Uh, If people want to get in contact with you, uh, follow you on social media, things like that. Where do they find you? Uh, Instagram is where I'm the most active. Uh, I cross post to Facebook, but honestly, I only go to Facebook to just like piss people off. Sometimes drop a bomb and leave. (laughs) Uh, But Instagram, I'm uh, at deputy deputy underscore one time. And, uh, yeah, they can go there. They can, uh, if they're interested in me, I have, I have a website just, you know, for some of the stuff that I'm doing, it's called onetimenation.com and it has, you know, info on me and it has links to all my social and stuff. And, uh, you mentioned a book. What is it and where can they find it? Yeah. The book is, uh, the book is interceptors and, uh, it's the untold fight against the Mexican cartels. And they can find that on any of the book platforms, Amazon, Kindle, Apple Books, uh, Barnes & Noble. It's all those places. Awesome. you got to get the uh, audiobook so I can check it out. I know, dude. I have to do it. I know. So I can listen to it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, man. This has been great. Thank you so much for listening. Everyone go check them out. Go buy a book. I'm going to go buy a copy myself. And uh, we will talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thank you. All right. No problem. Everyone listen. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Once again, thank you very much to the chief deputy. Uh, great insight, great conversation. And uh, again, this was a, a labor of love to get him here to talk. And I think uh, I think we did good with this one. But just to wrap up the show today, guys, I want to talk a little bit more about the idea of what we can control and what we can. I know you guys are like, dude, we get it, you know, whatever. But I'm, I'm, I'm doubling down on the stoic thing. Listen, I've got a few more episodes this season. I'm getting my opinions out there because you're not going to hear from me for a few months. So Buckle in there, Buttercup. What the Stoics said about the dichotomy of control. Okay, here we go. The concepts come from Epictetus. He's an ancient Greek philosopher. And he says, Some things are within our control, while others are not. Within our power are our opinion, motivation, desire, aversion, and in a word, whatever is of our own doing. Not within our power are our bodies, our property, our reputation, office, and in a word, whatever is not of our doing. 
So that said, your thoughts and your immediate actions and your reactions are all within your control, okay? You have absolutely no say in what others are doing, what they're thinking or saying. It goes back to what I'm saying, right? You can't influence people. Stop wasting your time on it. There is no point in spending any amount of time or energy on these things. So just to wrap up on that, there's no point in trying to influence people, which I know, like I said before, it's ironic because here I am trying to influence you to not worry about people trying to influence people. I Listen, I'm, I'm tired, man. I'm running on like two hours sleep. So when I came up with these things, it's a little circular. It makes sense. Trust me. The further we go in through our careers and our lives, we cannot live tied to the opinions and actions of others. We can't. You can control how and what you do and think. Okay, go back to a Ryan Holiday video, my favorite of all of his videos and talks and everything like that. And I've been following him for a long time now. You control how you play. Okay, he's talking about sports, but he's really not. Whatever's going on in your mind, it doesn't matter. You control how you play. You control how you show up and do the job, whatever it is. And that literally means waking up in the morning and what you do, how you play and show up for your family. Okay, don't. I always worry when I when I use these analogies, you guys might miss the point. Not that I'm thinking you guys don't get it, but I just I don't want them to be th- too thickly veiled. I'm not saying play like, "Ooh, we got to play with our kids." No. Like literally you show up and doing whatever it is you do. You doing the action, right? Verb. It's what you do. You guys remember those those commercials from the 90s? Verb. It's what you do. Okay? You are in control of that verb, whatever it is, you have to show up. Okay. One last stoic quote for today. And then I'm going to get out of here. This one again is from Marcus Aurelius. He's the best quote. I have often wondered how it is that every man loves himself more than all the rest of men, but yet sets less value on his own opinion of himself than other opinions of themselves. If then a God or a wise teacher should present himself to a man and bid him to think of nothing and design nothing which he would not express as soon as he conceived it, he could not endure it even for a single day. So much more respect have we to what our neighbor shall think of us than what we shall think of ourselves. You don't need to influence people. You don't need to be influenced. Okay. You need to, here's, here's how I see it. You need to be informed. Okay. In one way, shape, or or form. You need to be informed. Okay. That's, that's just part of being a well-rounded individual. Ignorance is not bliss. A uh, band I used to play shows with said, ignorance is more than bliss. It's paradise. Maybe it is. Maybe it's, listen, there's a part of me that really just wants to live on the beach in a van and sell hats. Like I really, I'm so done with society. It's just, it's gotten, it's crazy, but we can't be ignorant. We can't be um, naive to what's going on around us. Your opinion matters but you don't have to throw it on other people. If opinions and religious beliefs and whatever, they're like penises, right? They're good to have, they're good to be proud of, but don't force them on anybody, including children. That's how I say it. That's where I lay it. I really hope all this wisdom reaches you and just kind of makes you think. If nothing more, you don't have to listen to what I'm saying. Just makes you think like, okay, what's really bothering me? If I'm going to keep posting about whatever, whatever Ben Shapiro last said, What's really bothering me? Did I have to do that? What is that really accomplishing? Are people really changing their mind? Are they messaging going, hey, 10, I'm so glad you shared that insight. I really didn't think of it that way. Thank you so much. I'm really going to ship my opinion. No, I know it's not. Okay. The stuff I share is literally just trying to motivate people and inspire and make them feel better about themselves, not change their entire force of thinking. So if anything, I hope this made you think. Hope you guys don't hate me. Hope you guys don't think I'm some like major lib. And really, honestly, if you do, I don't give a shit. I really don't. Whatever you think about me, I'm doing this 
from good intentions, from a good place. So anyway, once again, thank you to Chief Deputy Matthew Thomas. I hope he's not listening and going, what the hell? I was on a on the show of a freaking lunatic. I'm really not. I'm a good guy. Totally even keel. People are just ridiculous sometimes. And they don't need to be. Next week, we're going to be talking to Laura. She's a retired police officer from Massachusetts. Turn clinician. If you guys have been listening to me for any stretch of time over the last year, that's the path I'm going. So... Uh, very interesting. Uh, she also runs the social media presence page, whatever you want to call it, called Five O Mental Health. Okay, we're going to be talking about the stigma of suicide and mental health. This is a deep conversation. It's going to get real. It's going to get personal. And I'm also going to discuss the two-year anniversary of the incident that changed my life forever, the attack on my good buddy, Jason Rayner. Um, I've never, I, I thought about this when I was doing it. I've really only touched little bits here and there about that night, June 23rd, 2021. And, um, I'm going to talk about it for real in depth, um, as much as I can to not jeopardize any kind of criminal proceedings. But, uh, I'm going to talk about it because it's going to be, um, it's going to, the episode's coming out a year or a day before the two year anniversary and what better time to talk about it. Uh, The week after that, the penultimate episode of my season is a group conversation. Basically, the leadership episode's part three, but it's not. I call it Changing the Game, the Future of Law Enforcement. And it's my good friends Aaron Lohman, Lamont Quarker, and Kelly Fishpaw, a former sergeant of mine. We we had a great conversation. We talked about a lot of important stuff. We were supposed to have on um, Tom Rizzo and uh, uh, Dexter Pitts. Dexter Pitts, just to... His... Instagram handle is I am Dexter Pitts. For some reason, I always want to call him Isaac. I have no idea why. I don't know why, but my mind always goes to Isaac. But we were going to have on Isaac Asiata as well. Uh, those three gentlemen could not, so the four of us had a great conversation. Uh, but that just means that in the future, we're going to be doing Changing the Game Part 2 with those individuals as well so we have that coming up in two weeks and then finally we're going to have the release of the live episode if you haven't heard about this um i'm going to be recording so i was going to do drunk cops to end the episode or end the season and one reason or another i couldn't get the drunk cop crew drunk cop crew uh from from around christmas time i couldn't get them onto the show couldn't make it work so i decided you know what fuck it we'll do it live so on june 24th which is next saturday at 8 p.m eastern i'm going to be doing an instagram live i'm also going to be having a zoom recording and we're just going to be doing i don't know what we're going to be recording for an hour we'll see what happens maybe we'll do it too um if you want to come in if you want to you know ask me a question or chat for a little bit i do have a zoom link and i will share it with people it's kind of open So if you've ever wanted to just chat with me for a little bit on an episode, this is your chance. Uh, Again, DM me and we'll we'll make that happen. Um, Or you can just listen to the Instagram live and and see what happens there. I literally, it's going to be live, unscripted, and we'll see what happens there. The recorded version will come out on July 6th. Then I go on summer break. Then I am taking a break from social media as a whole podcast and everything punk rock cops is going to keep going for a little bit uh we got a bunch of stuff but for the most part i'm going to be taking uh, a back seat and just kind of letting things run speaking of punk rock cops we should have a new episode out this coming monday um that's going to be fun it's featuring a guy from the anti-hero podcast which i will be on that one in the near future as well so we've got a lot of stuff coming up i'm really excited this season is going to end on a very strong note uh the, those two episodes coming up are power packed and then the live episode should just be fun 
All that said, guys, please continue to support the podcast, liking it, sharing it, rating, reviewing, subscribing. Please buy some merch, 10-8-memes.ecwid.com. Link is all in my bio on Instagram. If you need anything, hit me up. I'll be happy to help you out one way or another. Until next week, take care of each other, stay safe, and trust me, I'm not as crazy as this episode made me sound. I'm just really tired. We'll see you next week. 10-8, out. Yeah, sure.